Well, good morning and welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, October 29th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week. We've got the Legal Eagles standing by to help break things down in terms of what's happening on Capitol Hill. And geez, if you read the paper every day, you know there's a lot going on. And then Oliver Wenick of the Schwab Network joins us to help break down markets. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. Well, we're going to kick the show off, as we always do, with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill. Wow, a lot going on. And here to break it all down, you know them as the Legal Eagles. David Levine and Kevin Walsh are both principals with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Eagles, great to talk to you. Thanks for stopping by the program this morning. It's great to be on the program, Jeff. And, you know, this week, the, the House of Representatives got a speaker. And I think we're going to talk to you about some, you know, new ideas that are being bounced around for retirement legislation. Yeah, David, uh, miracles do happen. We have a speaker of the House. Finally, last we talked, I think it was last weekend, uh, we talked about how uh, that was there were things up in the air and what the impact would be to the retirement legislation that could possibly happen in 2023 and in the 2024. Some good news, but I know you want to take us through maybe kind of what some of the new legislation is that's being offered. Right. Well, th- that's exactly it, Jeff. We have a speaker now. So there's new legislation that's been proposed. It's uh, basically the ret- bipartisan. It's re- the Retirement Savings for Americans Act. In essence, The never-ending discussion that we've had over the years is how do you bridge the coverage gap? And for those who have heard heard this term over and over, I apologize. For those who haven't, in short English, it's basically no matter how hard we try, there's a a chunk of the American population that don't get covered by employer-provided savings programs for their retirement. And that's because sometimes it's very small employers who can't have plans, which was part of the idea behind PEPs, which people are still deciding whether PEPs have or have not achieved improvements on that. That's jury still out. Uh, separately, you had the state IRA programs, the, the auto IRA. There's been proposals for federal auto IRAs over time. But uh, right now, the states have really taken the lead. Of a significant number of them have required IRA programs if you're an employer that does not have an employer-sponsored plan, and each of them are a little different, but that's the basic premise of them all. And the RSAA would be another arrow in the quiver. And already, just to lay the background on this a little bit more, the already we have seen that there are divisions. There are uh, some trade groups who've already come out strongly against the RSAA, and some organizations have said they're in favor, but it's certainly early. Let We have a lot of other legislation higher in the priority list, apparently, to members of Congress, even though I never understand why retirement shouldn't have a bill a week, but I'll live <laughs> with that. And, and the you know, we need something to talk about, Jeff. And the, and the RSAA is another piece of legislation. It's basically for full-time and full and part-time employees who lack an employer-sponsored plan get enrolled at 3% of their income. 
they can op- they can change their levels, they can opt in or out. There would be a federal contribution of a, I believe it's a one percent non-elective and a four percent matching contribution, and the money can be it would be portable and it would be investments like the thrift savings plan. The immediate question is why are people reacting this way? Well, as we know, we have a voluntary private retirement system, and there's a lot of discussion of should you have something tilting the field one way or another, and, the, and there are different views on that at this point. As you know, on the Eagles here, we try not to get in the middle of advocating one way or another, mm-hmm. but clearly there's going to be a lot of debate because the real key thing, and I'll wrap up on this, about RSAA and all these proposals is who should be providing retirement benefits? Where should responsibility sit? We have an employer-provided system now, and there's a lot of support for it, but there are those who say there's gaps that might be filled outside of it. So let's see where the dialogue goes. Jeff, Kevin? Kevin, I want to pitch it to you and get, react to David's comments and, and infuse some of your own. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I think David hit on the, the key points of the program, and and one thing that I want to you know heavily discount from what he said was you know the the default contribution rate in the draft legislation, the default match in the uh, draft legislation, the default kind of uh, federal government contribution. I just one thing to highlight with draft legislation is that um, were this to move forward, were this to be part of uh, you know a federal package of a, a big package, um, it would need to be paid for, and so. I, I think when we look at this, we can look at, you know, whether we think it's generous or not generous, um, but it'll end up being dialed up or down depending on tax revenue that can be found to offset it. Um, so, I mean, in some ways, what I'm looking at this as is it's a, it's, you know, the federal government is saying they'll run largely a kind of a, a, a bare bones um, defined contribution plan uh, for folks who don't have access to one through their employer. And so as we watch legislation like this, I think we've got to we've got to be mindful of, you know, what impact will this have on employers offering plans generally? Um, could it discourage them from offering plans? Uh, could it provide an incentive to offer more generous plans or things to think about? Um, and then, you know, what impact will this have on innovation? Because, you know, the 401k space, we, we saw a move to daily record keeping over a 20 year period. Um, we saw a move to targeted funds. And, you know, even now, when David and I talk with our, our clients, uh, we're seeing folks who are talking about innovative things in their plans. Um, and if if this proposal does go forward, I think we'd hope to see it in a way that that wouldn't, you know, stifle innovation or that wouldn't, you know, become so homogenous that that others feel like they've got to copy it exactly. Um, so I, I think those are my key takeaways with this. It is in the proposal stage. You know, if it, if it was going to move forward, um, we would expect it to be part of a larger package. And, you know, where we are at, at this point in 2023, it's tough to see a package coming together this year. Yeah, and just to kind of echo, kind of build on that. I mean, there was so much going on. It took three weeks or four weeks to get a speaker of the house. That person helps drive the agenda. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on domestically in the U.S. I mean, David, Kevin, I, I, I guess to Kevin's point, really, this kind of tees things up. I guess for 2024. Um, you know, here we are in, at the end of October before Halloween, and it just seems highly unlikely that we'll get. Um, Anything focused on retirement with so much else going on. Sorry, Dad. Well, no, Jeff, you're hundred percent right. And I think part of part of that is I could jokingly say it's time for our retrospective year look back right now. But uh we've got a lot of regulations still coming, David. That's true. We've got a lot of regulation between here and the end of the year. I can't we can't look back quite yet. Yeah, that's right. Jeff, to your introduction, 
it's going to be, we might, we'll, we'll always have litigation, but there's going to be a lot of regulation to talk about in a bit. Maybe I'll just stop there because you've given us enough time, as always. And you know what? There will be celebration on the Broadcast Retirement Network. David Levine, Kevin Walsh, always great to talk to you. I see I added another Asian. And enjoy the rest of your weekend, gentlemen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank well, you enjoy listeners. the jubilation. All right. <laughs> see you guys. Bye-bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. You know, recently I sat down with UC San Francisco's A.J. Holmgren to discuss how healthcare systems are charging for e-visits and e-messages. Let's give it a listen. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Dr. A.J. Holmgren is with UC San Francisco. Dr. Holmgren, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's, let's talk about um, e-visits because this became a really, it's been, a, the, the technology has existed for quite some time, but this really became very, popular during the pandemic, sir, and, and a lot of people took advantage. You're absolutely right. You know, most patients have been able to message their physician or some member of their care team for over a decade at this point. But prior to the pandemic, the rate that patients actually used this was really, really low. It was really classified or clustered and almost entirely amongst younger patients, those with higher socioeconomic status, people who are more likely to be using smartphones, et cetera. Whereas when the pandemic hit, I think there was a broad awareness that this capability existed. And between a desire to not have to go see your physician in person, but still be able to see them and to receive medical care, the use of messaging your physician via the patient portal really exploded. And we saw an almost 150% increase from the pre-pandemic level. Yeah, and I I like it. I think as a patient, I like it because I don't necessarily have to pick up the phone and call the the doctor or the, the physician's assistant. I can just input it. But this probably creates a lot of work 
administratively. If like if I have a hundred patients and I'm a, a doctor, that's quite a bit of volume in terms of managing email on top of the administrative and internal emails I probably already get from my physician's practice. That's absolutely correct. And the analogy that I always like to make is imagine if you worked at an hourly job and your boss told you, yeah, you definitely have to answer all of your emails, but you can't do it at work. You have to do that at lunch or in the evening while you're eating dinner or watching TV. These are things that don't count as billable. And that's essentially what we've asked our physician workforce to do. The majority of physicians in the United States get paid on a fee-for-service or volume-based metric. And these e-visits or these messages are, for the most part, prior to the pandemic, not reimbursable. So we've really put a huge burden on our already strained physician workforce to do a bunch of this messaging, almost all of which occurs in this after hours, outside of hours, and uncompensated way, which is really a lot of additional stress to a group of clinicians who were already dealing with the impact of the pandemic and other demands on their time. You know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about the message I just sent my physician yesterday, and now I'm actually starting to feel bad that I I sent him a physician, which was a, a, a important from my perspective. Uh, uh, Dr. Holmgren, there was a movement afoot to begin to charge uh, for these patient messages or e-visits. How how pronounced is that? Is it across all the systems in the United States, or are we, are we just starting to see that? begin the rollout? Yeah, I think, you know, right now, unfortunately, there's very little data published out there about nationally how prominent this is. What we can say is a number of large prominent healthcare systems, including UCSF Health, Michigan Medicine, Johns Hopkins, the Cleveland Clinic, have all started these types of programs, you know, really hoping to give their physician workforce, their clinician workforce, some ability to receive compensation for the sort of asynchronous messaging work that they do, because there's a growing recognition that this is care delivery. And if you are writing a prescription or giving medical advice in the form of written emails rather than, you know, verbally face to face, there's really not that much difference there. And so the hope is that, you know, I think you know, patients really value this. I think a lot of physicians really value this because if they can deliver the care that a patient needs in a faster, more convenient format, that's a win-win for everybody. The only problem is, you know, what happens when this is uncompensated and it all sort of spills over into your personal time and there's sort of a never-ending demand for sort of clinical advice from the clinicians. Yeah, it's really, it's really about a balancing act. Well, that's certainly an important topic and something we're going to have to keep watching on the network. And I want to thank A.J. Holmgren for stopping by BRN AM recently. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Well, hey, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well then visit our website. Hey, we're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.